John chapter 16. We're going to be in verses 5 through 15 tonight. Let's read that together. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, then I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Well, as you uh, just discovered in the game that we just played, what we're going to call this tonight is the man behind the curtain. Right? So if you're looking for a sermon title to take notes on, this is the man behind the curtain. Now, do you... Do you guys know where that expression comes from? It's the Wizard of Oz. How many of you guys have seen the movie, The Wizard of Oz? Are you guys all there? Pretty much everyone. Okay, good. Good. I wondered, I wondered if that was still circulating. And it is. Okay, so in The Wizard of Oz, you have the scene where uh, Dorothy and her three friends have finally made it to Oz, and they're standing before the wizard. And the wizard in this scene is not actually a real wizard. It's just a facade that's being controlled by this interesting man that we see behind a curtain. Now, the whole point of this man that's standing behind the curtain, he has all sorts of little triggers and pulleys and buttons that he's manipulating to control this this wizard that he has created. The whole point of the man behind the curtain in The Wizard of Oz is that the actual person he doesn't want to be seen. He's, he's not supposed to be noticed. If you remember how exactly this plays out, this man's standing behind the curtain, running this wizard that he has created, and Toto, the little dog, comes and starts yanking on the curtain, right? And it reveals the man. And he's still speaking into the speaker as the wizard. He's still controlling the wizard. But the dog is revealing that, that there's actually someone behind the scenes that has a massive, significant role in what's taking place in this scene. The whole point of this man, though, is that he doesn't want to be noticed. His whole job is to make the wizard look amazing. Like That's kind of the shock of the scene, is that you realize that this, this man, he's just, he's just a man, and, and, and the wizard is awesome. But the man that's controlling him, is just he's not meant to be seen. He's the one that makes the wizard look so great, even though in this, in this story, the wizard doesn't actually exist. It's just a facade. But if the man is to do his job well, then he is pointing to the, to the magnificence of the wizard. 
He's pointing to how great and how powerful and to how mighty the wizard actually is. His whole job is not to be noticed. He's not supposed to receive the praise. In fact, the way that he knows that he's doing his job well is when the people that come to see the wizard bow down before the wizard. The way that he knows that he's done his job as the man behind the curtain is when the people are terrified by the wizard. Well, tonight we're going to see a scene where the Holy Spirit is very similar to the man behind the curtain in this sense. His whole job is not to draw attention to himself. It's almost as if he's the man behind the curtain and and there's so many things that he's doing, but his whole job is to point to Jesus. His whole job is to say, you're you're not paying attention to me. My job is to glorify Jesus. And the Spirit is doing his job when when Jesus is glorified because that is his purpose. The Spirit of God exists. The Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, he exists that Jesus Christ would receive glory. It's never more clearly stated than in verse 14 of John chapter 16. Jesus is speaking about the Spirit and he says this, He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit doesn't glorify himself. He doesn't draw attention to himself. The Holy Spirit's mission is that Christ would be glorified. And while the Holy Spirit is not drawing attention to himself, we would be mistaken to think that that means that he is not doing anything. The Holy Spirit is doing so much in the world. In fact, we've seen it repeatedly throughout this upper room discourse that that Jesus leaving is actually a good thing because it means that the Holy Spirit is going to come and that he is going to work in a way that he never did before. So he's looking to his disciples, and even though they're troubled by the fact that Jesus is going to depart, he's going to go to heaven, and they're not going to see him for a while, even though that's about to happen, he says, no, this is a good thing that I'm leaving because the Holy Spirit is coming. Look at verse 7. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Understand the gravity of that statement. This is Jesus in their presence. This is God in the flesh. He he is working miracles. He's healing men. He's preaching the gospel. He's forgiving sins. And he says, the best thing that could happen is that I would leave. That's an amazing statement by Jesus. It's better for you, he says, if I leave. And there's, there's so many reasons why that's true. He stated this repeatedly. What he names specifically here, though, is that it's better because when I leave, I'm sending the Spirit. And he literally says, it's better for the Spirit of God to be here than for me to remain here. Why is that? Once Jesus completes his work on earth, once he fulfills the role for which God sent him, he's going to return. And as he sends the Spirit, understand that Jesus was a person like you. He was 100% man. He was a human like you. 
But the Spirit of God within the plan of God is doing so much in in every place in the world. In other words, the Spirit of God is not bound by the limitations that Jesus had because he was a man. Jesus was at one place in one time as a man. The Spirit of God is in this room right now. The Spirit of God is indwelling every believer. And Jesus says, it's better that I leave so that the Spirit can come and be with you and be in you. There is so much that he is doing that Scripture teaches us about the roles of the Holy Spirit. We've seen a lot of them in the upper room discourse and and we don't have time to review them all tonight. But Jesus specifically is going to focus on, on some of the limited scope of the Holy Spirit's work. There's much more that the Spirit does than what we're going to see tonight. But as he focuses in on the Spirit's work and and noting the fact that he is always at work, tonight as we break this down, we're going to see two results of the Holy Spirit's work. Two results of the Holy Spirit's work. In other words, because the Holy Spirit is at work in your life and in the world, there are two things that happen that Jesus draws our attention to tonight. And, And if I can just bring this full circle for you, all of these, everything that he is doing, it's not to draw attention to himself, but that you and I would praise the name of Jesus. He points to Jesus. He points to Jesus. He seeks to glorify him. So, because the Holy Spirit is at work, there are two results that Jesus brings to our attention in this text. The first one is that the world is convicted by the gospel. The world is convicted by the gospel. In verses 5 through 11, Jesus starts to explain what the Spirit of God does in the world. Namely, that he brings about conviction. Look at verse we're gonna, we're gonna really, this, this kind of starts, it, the scope of it is verses 5 through 11, but, but it, really, it really focuses in on the conviction in verses 8 through 11. So I want you to draw your attention to verse 8, where Jesus, speaking of the Spirit, says, And he, when he comes, will convict the world. The Holy Spirit, when he comes, will bring conviction to the world. That word conviction means that, it, that, that, that the Holy Spirit is revealing an error. Revealing someone else's faults. Even bringing guilt to someone because of their faults. We, we, we all know what conviction means. I, ho- I hope, because this is necessary for salvation, I hope that you have all experienced conviction over sin. Felt guilty for something that you have done. What the Spirit specifically does when Jesus uses this word is that he reveals that sinfulness. He shows us our error. That because the Holy Spirit is at work in the world, that the world feels conviction. But the question is, how does that happen? How exactly does the Spirit cause the world to feel conviction? Like if the whole world is not convicted, is the Spirit not doing his job well? How exactly does this take place? Well, to answer that question, I want to draw your attention to verse 7. 
I want you to see to whom Jesus is specifically saying that the Holy Spirit comes. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. We've talked about this repeatedly in the Upper Room Discourse, that Jesus is communicating in these texts specifically to his disciples. And there are absolutely applications and implications for us. But Jesus is talking to his disciples. And when he says that the Holy Spirit will come to you, he's looking at his disciples and saying, the Holy Spirit is coming to you, my disciples. He's coming to you. And he is going to work through you. The question is, how does that happen? Because this is consistent with how the Holy Spirit always works. The Holy Spirit works through people. The way that this is going to manifest itself in church history as this plays out is that the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world through the preaching of the gospel. Jesus says, the Spirit is coming to you. He's not coming like to the earth. He's not coming in a physical sense, like just to fill the earth. He's coming specifically, Jesus says, to you. And that when the Holy Spirit is in you, he's going to do things. He's going to convict the world of their sin. The way that that happens is through the preaching of the gospel. The way that that people began to feel conviction over their sin early in church history is because the apostles were preaching the gospel and the Holy Spirit was working through that. He was convicting the world of sin by the proclamation of the gospel. Conviction cannot happen without the Holy Spirit. Conviction also doesn't happen aside from the preaching of the gospel. Not biblical conviction. There may be guilt over something, but not with a proper understanding of what that guilt means and how we respond to it. That is the work of the Spirit that happens when the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. This is how the Holy Spirit works. He works through God's people. He works through his word. In other words, when when Jesus says that that the world is going to feel conviction of their sin, He's not talking about their conscience. It's not the conscience that Jesus is prophesying about here. That's not what he's saying is going to come. People had a conscience in the Old Testament. Unbelievers have a conscience. The promise that Jesus is giving is something that's new. It's something that's coming. And it's not a new conscience. It's that the Holy Spirit is going to be working to convict sin. And that happens through the people to whom the Holy Spirit comes. In other words, people aren't just like sitting around all over the world and and all of a sudden it's like the Spirit says, feel convicted. No one's ever saved that way. No one ever comes to this knowledge of the gospel because the Holy Spirit just drops it in their lap. This is what Paul says in Romans, that that there must be a preacher of the gospel. How will they hear without a preacher? Faith comes by hearing, and that that's how the Holy Spirit convicts. So Jesus says that the Spirit is going to convict the world. The way that that happens is through the proclamation of the gospel. In other words... When you preach the gospel, the Spirit is at work. 
When you preach the message of Jesus Christ, the God who became flesh, who lived a perfect life and, and died on the cross for the sins of mankind and was buried and rose again, that if we, if we believe in him and repent of our sins, we are forgiven of all that we've committed and we can spend eternity in heaven with God. That message, the Holy Spirit is working through that. And when you proclaim that, the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of sin. You have that assurance that whenever someone believes in Christ, first, the Holy Spirit did what was promised here. He convicted of sin. When you preach the gospel, you are doing the work of the Holy Spirit. He is working through you. And he is here so that that preaching of the gospel would actually bear fruit. Know this. This is, this is just like a promise and a truth that if the Holy Spirit does not work, no one will be saved. There is no conviction of sin. The Spirit is the one that convicts them of sin. And if there is no conviction of sin, then there is no repentance, there is no turning to Jesus, there is no salvation. We need the Spirit. We need Him. No one can be saved apart from His work. Well, Jesus says that He will come and that He will convict the world of sin. But He specifically points out three areas. Look, look, at, verse, look at verse 8. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus, in that statement, makes these three categories of conviction that the Spirit will bring, that he then expounds upon in verses 9, 10, and 11. Look at, the, look at the first words of each of those verses. Remember, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Look at verse 9, concerning sin. Look at verse 10, concerning righteousness. And look at verse 11, and concerning judgment. So he says this is what the Spirit is going to convict of. And then he's going to explain and outline all of it for us and explain why that's necessary. So... Yeah, right here on this is really just an outline of how the Spirit convicts. The Spirit convicts through the preaching of the gospel, specifically through a message of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Okay? Now, I want to explain those for you. Because if I were to say, this is the message that we preach, it's a strange outline, isn't it? We preach the message of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's actually a great outline for the gospel. And, and, and I would suggest to you that when Jesus says this, he is outlining the message of the gospel for his disciples. I, I think Jesus is telling them, this is what you're going to preach. And this is what the Holy Spirit is going to use to convict the world of their sin and turn, remember, all that conviction for the glory of Jesus. He'll turn to me. This is your message. First, concerning sin. Look at verse 9. Concerning sin, why? Because they do not believe in me. They do not believe in me. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. Now, there, there's a couple ways to understand what Jesus is saying here, and I don't know that either of them are wrong. 
The, the first is, in essence, that Jesus is explaining why unbelievers sin. Unbelievers sin because they do not know Jesus. There is, there's, there's no other way to get around it except that their sinfulness and their active sinning stems from the fact that they don't know Jesus. If they, from birth, had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the sinfulness that he's describing here wouldn't exist. Jesus is attaching their sinfulness as stemming from the fact that they don't know Jesus, and that's every human. Because no one is born with a personal relationship with Christ. All of us in our not knowing Jesus, sin. But not only is our lack of a personal relationship with Christ the reason for our sin, our unbelief in Jesus is our greatest sin. It's it's the content of our sin. The essence of every man's sinfulness is that they don't believe in Jesus. It's a lot of conversations about the the root of all sins. What what is it? Is is it pride? Is pride the basic sin that leads to every other sin? Is it selfishness? Is it hatred? Is it idolatry? Like what do all the sins tie back from? They all tie back to unbelief. That that's, that's what sin finds its root in, not believing in Jesus. In, in, even in our salvation, we need to grow in our belief of Jesus. Because growing in our belief, learning Christ better, makes us more like him. The more we know him, the more we believe him, the more we become like him. So Jesus looks to his disciples and he says, this is the message that the world will be convicted by. First, concerning sin, that they are sinful, that they don't believe in Jesus and that that's why they sin and that that is their greatest sin. The spirit works through that message. Don't buy the lie that the gospel is an easy pill for people to swallow. The gospel is an offensive message. It's, it's, it's hard to hear because a necessary element of the gospel is the statement that we are all sinners. That, that we all are deserving of God's wrath. That we are all born not righteous, but inheriting the sin of Adam. We, we, we're, we're guilty. You can't present the gospel without saying that. If someone doesn't know that they're a sinner, then they have no need for Jesus who died that our sins would be forgiven. If they're not aware of, of that need, then what, what do they repent of? What do they turn to? If there's no sin, then there's no need for a savior. The gospel message must include sin. Said another way, the Holy Spirit only convicts people through that message. 
What is there to be convicted of? That we are sinners who have offended God, who are enemies of God, desperately in need of his grace. But there's more to it than just that. First, the Holy Spirit works concerning sin. Second, the Holy Spirit works concerning concerning righteousness. Of these three statements, this is by far the most difficult to grasp just because it's a little bit vague. But, But I think in Jesus' explanation that it becomes clear. Jesus says he will convict the world concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. Okay, so Jesus says the Holy Spirit will work through the proclamation of this message, a message of righteousness. Why is that necessary? Jesus says, because I am leaving, they can't see me anymore. In other words, in that statement, Jesus says, I am the picture of righteousness. And because I am leaving, the Holy Spirit must convict them of the very picture that I am, the standard of righteousness. The ultimate picture of righteousness is Jesus, which is really important, except that Jesus is about to leave. So everyone's access to this perfect picture of righteousness is changing. Jesus is leaving. He was the only perfectly righteous person. Even though the perfect picture of righteousness is leaving, that message of Jesus, the perfect God-man, must be preached. And through the preaching of that standard of righteousness, the Holy Spirit will convict the world. Again, this is an essential element of the gospel, the necessity of righteousness. This this is what it takes to get to heaven. Lest we be confused about the content of the gospel, understand this. If you're not perfectly righteous, you can't go to heaven. That's what you need. To get into heaven, all you need is perfect righteousness. problem is you don't have that in your flesh in your natural self you don't have righteousness this is what that first point is about you are a sinner so if that's the case and if that's the rule and it is only one person gets to go to heaven and that's jesus christ the only perfect person The rest of us don't have that righteousness. However, and this is where this ties into the message of the gospel. You can have the righteousness of Jesus. You can have that. Turn over in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. That is not right. It is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I was close. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's like, this really doesn't look right. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. The he at the beginning of this verse is God. And I want you to see us receiving the righteousness of Jesus. He, God, made him, that's Jesus, him who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. So that we might become the righteousness of God 
in him. Do you understand what Paul's saying in those verses? That, that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us. Jesus never sinned, but God made him a, a sinner. He, he took on our sin. And in taking on our sin, he opens the door for us to take on his righteousness. All of the injustice of him taking on our sin is so, so that the same injustice could take place that we would take on his righteousness. That message of righteousness must be preached. Jesus, the picture of righteousness, is no longer here, but that is an essential gospel truth that, one, there is sin. You are a sinner. You must be perfect. You must be righteous. You must have the righteousness of Jesus to get to heaven. He's leaving. But through the proclamation of that message, the Holy Spirit will convict the world. Jesus is the righteousness that we need. So if, if you're tracking with this, you can see the gospel taking shape here. There's the message of sin. There's the message of righteousness, which is ultimately Jesus. He must be preached. Even though he's leaving, he must be preached. And lastly, he will convict the world concerning judgment. So turn back in your Bibles to John chapter 16. He will convict the world concerning judgment. Draw your attention to verse 11. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. The ruler of this world has been judged. The ruler of this world in John is, is a reference to Satan, to the devil. And Jesus is saying that the ruler of this world has been judged. And therefore, all who belong to him, which is everyone who does not belong to Christ, all who belong to him will be judged described in, in Revelation where Satan is judged though he, he has already been judged even now that, that he, will, he will be judged and receive the punishment which is him being cast into hell for it was the lake of fire and, and the very next verses in, in Revelation chapter 20 say that all who did not believe in the name of Jesus will be cast in with him. That, that is an essential truth in the gospel. That judgment is coming. Those who belong to Christ will be judged accordingly. And those who belong to Satan will be judged accordingly. Through the proclamation of that message, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. So, you see that as a wonderful outline for the gospel. The Holy Spirit works through this message. Through the proclamation of sinfulness, through the proclamation of Jesus Christ, the righteousness that we need, through the proclamation of the coming judgment, by which everyone will be rendered what they are due in accordance with whether or not they have received the righteousness of Jesus Christ. All of that, even as we're talking about this, 
We're talking about Jesus. But it's the work of the Holy Spirit that is convicting the world to turn to him. You can see he's the man behind the curtain. We're hardly even talking about him as we're breaking down this text, but it's all his work. He's the one that's convicting the world. So, so the world is convicted by the gospel in this next one. We've hit this so much, so this will be really brief. But, but the second result of the Holy Spirit's work is that Jesus is glorified through the word. Jesus is glorified through the word. In verses 12 through, 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 through 15, John, Jesus says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Jesus says that he has more to say, but he's not going to say it now. They can't handle it now. Rather, the Spirit is coming, and he is going to be their guide. Now, I want you to be aware of something that's really, really important and so often misunderstood and misapplied. I don't believe that Jesus is promising this to you. Don't believe that when Jesus says this, he's saying that the Holy Spirit will guide you in everything you need to know. I think that's a misapplication of this passage. I, I, I have not experienced this. That whenever I have information that I need, the Holy Spirit grants it to me. Jesus is saying this specifically to his disciples because they are the ones that need this promise. Jesus has more to say. But he doesn't say it here. The disciples that are around him are going to be charged with the writing down of the New Testament. And it is in the New Testament that Jesus is going to reveal all that we need to know. The reason this promise is here is so that the disciples can write what they're supposed to write in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit is going to come to the disciples and he's going to guide them. He's going to tell them what, we need to, what they need to know. He's going to give them the information. In other places in the Upper Room Discourse, we're told that he's going to remind them of everything Jesus said. If you think that that's a promise to every believer, there's a serious problem. Because I could not quote for you right now everything that Jesus said. I couldn't do it. I'd love to be able to. But if I can't do that, does that mean that the Holy Spirit isn't in me? No, because that's not what the Holy Spirit does in you. He doesn't remind you of every single thing that you need to know. He does that to the apostles so that they could write the Bible. You now have your Bible. Do you want to know what Jesus wants you to know? It's in your Bible. The Holy Spirit works through the word of God and through the word, through the writing down of the word that these disciples and apostles are going to do. Through writing that message down, Jesus is going to be glorified. It's a misunderstanding of this passage that leads to so much misunderstanding about the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You plus the Holy Spirit does not equal all the wisdom you need. Some believe that this passage is teaching that. I'm good because it's me. The Holy Spirit is teaching me. He's guiding me and I'm good. The Holy Spirit works through the proclamation of the gospel and through the word of God. It's how he works. That, that's, 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 it's just what he does. He did remind the disciples of everything Jesus taught. He guided them in all truth. 
but that was so that they could write down the New Testament that you hold in your hands today. That's what comes from this promise, your Bible. Because the Holy Spirit was guiding them. The Holy Spirit isn't, he's not, he's not dispensing just all this random helpful information. You know what he's doing? He's repeating what Jesus tells him to say. That's, that's, that's what Jesus promises here. Look at the end of verse 13. But whatever he hears, he will speak. He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. For he, look, here's what he, here's what he says. He will take of mine and will disclose it to you. The Holy Spirit isn't coming up with new messages. He's just taking what Jesus said and reminding the disciples of that. So, what that means is that what you have in your Bible is the very message that the Holy Spirit reminded the disciples of. It was the very spirit, it is the very message that Jesus had the Holy Spirit communicate. They are working together. But in a way that brings all of the glory to Jesus Christ. That is the goal. The Spirit is most glorified when you turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. <clears throat> Preach the message of Jesus and live a life that is glorifying to Jesus. That is what the Holy Spirit desires. And that is the conviction and the fruit that he brings about in our life.